Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Hey Coach podcast. This is Eric Reyes, and this is the podcast that takes a look at business concepts taken from coaching and the athletic sidelines. Thanks again for tuning in this week. I want to read something to you. I knew I wasn't going to be a pro athlete, so instead I took the fundamentals I learned around teamwork, diversity, communication, dedication, and commitment, and adopted them as the key operating principles to manage my life. These are the words of J.T. Stevens, a walk-on in basketball at the University of California. As a high school sharpshooter, J.T. was not recruited for college. So he enrolled at the University of Southern California and was a manager and occasional practice player for the Trojans. Though having assurance from the coach that if he grew a few inches, he could make the team, that arrangement ended as a new head coach joined USC. But JT continued to play. And while playing in one of the well-known Bay Area basketball leagues, the athletic director from Cal just happened to catch his eye. He told him, though, they couldn't give scholarships, that they would like to have him try out, and that they would help him get into the school. This was a big decision for JT, but it gave him the opportunity to play the sport that he loved. JT made the team, was on the team for four years, and after graduation, he went into investment banking. Now JT is the managing director, head of internet and consumer softwares at UBS. JT has taken his experiences as a walk-on to guide him throughout his career after basketball, and his story could be found in the walk-on method to career and business success by Jim Roddy. So please join me in my conversation with JT Stevens. Thank you for coming on. Uh, hey, Coach. I'm glad that you were able to take some time out of your Sunday to be with me. Oh, absolutely. I've been looking forward to this. If people don't know much about you, I learned about you from uh, Jim Roddy, and you have a section from his walk-on method book. You are a walk-on from the University of California basketball, and you used what you learned to propel you, and now you are a managing director, uh, head of the internet and consumer software. Consumer software, yeah. Consumer software. People who haven't read his book, tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, sure. So, well, first of all, uh, Eric, thanks so much for having me on. Um, as I mentioned, uh, when we first connected, uh, got a lot of respect for for what you are doing, and, and obviously also... Uh, with what Jim did with his book. Um, I think it's a really interesting perspective. And um, maybe just to go back to that, um, you know, Jim had reached out and was pulling together this book on on uh, and kind of walk-ons and, and interesting business principles and kind of life lessons and leadership principles that you get kind of going through that process. And, um, you know, obviously I could spend probably hours talking about my experiences playing four years of RC basketball at Cal um, but, but maybe just to try and break it down into a couple pieces, you know, obviously um, I, I was one of those guys who I would say is kind of a late bloomer. I ended up uh, kind of growing late in life. My dad grew three inches uh, when he was a freshman in college and that kind of happened to me. So in high school, you know, I was like a decent player, but I was always a little undersized. I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time really working on my shot. And I think one of the things that helped me ultimately end up making the, the Cal team uh, was that I was, 
you know, pretty fast, uh, pretty quick and, but could shoot the ball really well. And at the end of the day, you know, when you're a walk on, you usually need to have like some single core competency, either a great defender or you're tall. You know, at some point, a lot of walk-ons make, make teams just because they might be like six, nine, and they need someone just to bang around with the big guys. Right. So, so in any case, um, you know, it was, it was one of those interesting dynamics where I went to USC uh, for a year and kind of was in, involved with their basketball program a little bit. And, uh, and then, you know, I was playing summer league after my freshman year at USC and, ended up, you know, uh, getting noticed by someone at Cal and, you know, they reached out and they had just gone under uh, probation. Um, if you remember Todd Bozeman was, was caught, you know, I don't know if he was paying players or whatever it was, but anyway, um, Cal was getting ready to go under probation. And so it impacted their scholarship and kind of number of right. Farsi players they could have on their team. And, you know, it's kind of like when you think about being a walk-on, there's usually some unique dynamic that just happens. Like the stars align because it's, super competitive and there's a ton of great basketball players in the Bay area. And, you know, Cal's kind of a, a, you know, one of these kind of international, you know, uh, and national schools where, you know, there's all people from all, all over coming who play hoops. And so, um, but it just so turned out that they needed guys because they were limited. And, um, and so I remember kind of, they actually got me into the school, which is great. You know, I, I, at the time, you know, USC is obviously a great school now, but at the time Cal was, was, you know, I think a superior academic school. So I did make the decision to kind of ditch my buddies at USC and, you know, the opportunity to play uh, on that program, I kind of like redshirted slash, you know, it was like kind of a part-time manager. It's a weird experience, but regardless, um, the chance to go to Cal and, you know, I figured I'd give it a shot, right. Cause, cause, you know, we can talk about this further, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it's like, okay, I can get into a, a school. that's just an academic powerhouse. And, you know, that's one of those things that I knew I was going to make the NBA. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, so I said, look, you know, at least on the resume, I'll, I'll get a degree from Cal and, you know, I'm from the Bay Area anyways. And if I end up making it, it'll be just sweet because my parents and all my friends come to the game. So, right. so anyway, um, you know, I, I got, go, go to try, I started playing with the team in advance. I think that was really important as well because I got to know the guys uh, and so I go to these like, you know, pre season, you know, open gyms and, and, um, you know, got a sense for how they played and candidly just gave me a chance to kind of get used to the speed and size. And, you know, was, you know, obviously these guys, a lot of the guys ended up playing the NBA. So the, the caliber of the team, uh, was, was tremendous. And we ultimately ended up going to the sweet 16 that year. So kind of speaks to some of the, the capabilities right. of some of these guys. Um, but in any case, uh, you know, it was probably a hundred people in the gym and I ended up, you know, having a good uh, tryout, made a bunch of threes and, you know, show that I could dribble and pass and backdoor and just all the things that, you know, I think a coach is going to want to want to see. And I'd been in pretty good shape. You know, one thing that I'll tell you is kind of gets down to like, you know, preparing for every opportunity in life. And uh, a lot of the guys, you know, the, the, the trial was pretty long and not everybody was in great shape, you know? And so I think, I think, you know, being in shape, I was just reading this article about how Steph Curry, you know, spends like his preseason um, just like running. Like they say he runs like two and a half miles a, a game, you know, just, it's, it's just right. incredible. And so, you know, and he's, he basically can be, he said he can be ready to, to step on the court in a full, in a regular season game within two weeks at any given time. So it gives you a sense for kind of that mentality, but you know, that was kind of the same mentality, just like, look, you got to be in the best possible shape because I'm definitely behind from a, from an athletic right. standpoint. Uh, right, so anyway, right. I'll pause there, but, you know, ended up making the team and, you know, was able to kind of stick for the next four years and ended up traveling, you know, a bunch and, 
and uh, really becoming kind of an integral part uh, of, of the team, which was, it was just an awesome experience. And I will probably jump into a bunch more, but, but that, that's kind of the story of how I ended up getting on the team. Well, that's a great story because you put yourself in an opportunity to be seen. I believe in the, in the chapter, it says something like you were playing in a league and the coach came up to you because he saw you. So you put yourself in, in a position and in an opportunity that, you know, you weren't in your room just sitting there and somebody knocked on your door. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that's a good way of putting it. I mean, so look, at the end of the day, I was like 19 years old and I was, I'd obviously, you know, when you're a freshman, you end up making a lot of really good friends at the school, right? Because everybody's kind of going through the same experience. And so I'd made some really tremendous friends at, at USC. And I remember like the hardest thing I had to decide was like basically kind of giving up on those relationships to basically start over, you know, because effectively I was going to be a freshman again. And, and I remember like, I literally got into school, like after school had started. So like, I remember like going into like the academic advisor's office to try and like figure out what classes I was going to take. You know, Cal's got like, I forget how many undergrads, but there's like 17 or 18,000 undergrads and like 35,000 when you include the grad programs. And, and so like getting classes is hard, you know, like one of the things that was actually pretty cool about being a walk-on is I got to sign up for classes ahead of everybody, you know? Right. Uh, but when I started, I was literally like scrapping for classes. Just I remember <laughs> taking some like super random classes just to kind of get the credits so I could play. But, um, and I remember also signing up for like econ 101 because I was, you know, wanted to pursue some kind of mathematical classes and going into my first day, I remember it was like an auditorium of literally like a thousand people in a class and you just wow. sat there and listened. It was, it was unbelievable. I mean, obviously very different than a private school like USC where the classes are a little smaller. Right. Right. So, now, now how hard was it to do that decision to go from one school to the other? Because like you said, you had your friends in one school, Yeah, but like I said, this was an opportunity that probably you've been, you've been looking for. Yeah, totally. You know, it's a good question. I mean, so obviously there was kind of like the relationships that you were clearly going to sacrifice um, to a degree. Uh, and obviously, you know, my, my, a lot of my dad's side of the family had all gone to SC. My dad had played football there. My uncles had played football there. And then my, my grandfather played football there. And then ultimately my cousins ended up playing football there. So it was kind of like one of these, um, you know, there was just kind of like a heritage, you know, uh, in the family of like being big SC fans. Right, so there's, right. there's that component. And then um, I think at the end of the day, though, it's just kind of like anything, you just kind of weigh the pros and the cons. And I said, look, it's, it's a better academic institution. There's a real chance to play for a team that I thought was kind of better than SC. Um, and I had grown up going to Cal games. And so part of it for me was like a, this, a chance to like really pursue a dream. And I'd seen Jason Kidd play and Sharif Abdurrahim, kind of all these guys who I just had a ton of respect for. And even going back to like KJ, see Kevin Johnson play. Right. Right? You know, he was really the first guy to kind of turn Cal's program around. Um, and so, so I just said, screw it. I'm going to go for it and, and see how, uh, you know, see how the dust settles. And unfortunately things worked out. So, so, I mean, that was, that was really a decision, you know? And, um, and I also kind of always felt that I would live in the Bay area, you know, over the long run. And one of the things SC is, uh, is really more of like a regional school where I think Cal is more of a kind of, uh, kind of, kind of well-known globally. Right. And so I think the, 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 um, probably the degree of cows maybe a little more portable. So if I ever was like going to move to New York or something, I could, I could probably flash a cow degree and that would maybe build a little more connectivity. 
uh, you know, and ultimately we can talk about this, but business school, I think it helped a lot um, in terms of applying to business schools. But I did see long term, I was going to ultimately probably live in the Bay Area and that's turned out to play out that way. And I just, you know, have a ton of cow relationships as a result. And so I think that was a good decision too. Well, also the, the weather is not, wasn't a bad decision because it's 20 degrees here in New York. So <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> so I think you yeah. made a good decision on that part. <laughs> now, when you were at the University of California um, or Cal, I'm not sure what's the best way to pronounce. Yeah, you know, Bear. Like if you're on the West Coast, it's just known as Cal. Yeah, okay. so Cal Bears. You know, it's kind of it's funny because a lot of people call it the University of California or UC Berkeley or whatever, but it's it's really Cal. Yeah. Okay. So I, I want to be proper. That's uh, all good. So when you were at Cal, you had a great story about uh, you and Tony Gonzalez. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, man. It's 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 one of those things. I I like. Well, I remember it so vividly. Um, so I mean, I think everybody on the podcast probably knows who Tony Gonzalez is. Like, arguably, you know, I think I would. I I tend to think he's the best tight end ever. Uh, you right. know, and, and so I was super fortunate to have had an opportunity to play a year with him. And um, he was just one of these guys, like to this day, probably one of the best athletes, you know, I've ever seen. Just, you can think about like a physical specimen. You know, I was obviously an amazing football player, great hands. And then, you know, the guy like rolls onto the basketball court right after football season. He was a two sport athlete. And this is a guy that easily could have played in the NBA. I really believe that Uh, he's six, six and just super powerful and strong. And, you kind of remember like just imagine like a more skilled version of like Corliss Williamson if you remember that guy from yes, Arkansas yep. um, and that guy was a great player too right and played many years in the NBA um, but but in any case you know there was um, definitely like you know I think there's you kind of got to knock the rust off a little bit when you're coming from the football field to the basketball field there's different movements a little more touch and kind of as you would imagine and so I remember we had probably been a couple weeks in and to practice and there was this drill we would do where um you know the coach would kind of like it was like a three on two two on one drill or something and basically what they do is they'd like throw the ball and then like they'd either send two or three guys out on defense or sorry one or two guys out on defense and they would send either two or three guys on offense and basically you have to kind of read the defense and so anyway, the point guard Prentice at the time, Prentice McGrady, like kicked it up to Tony and Tony's on the wing and it was a three on two, two on, uh, it was a three on two drill. So I was back on defense and I jumped out and Tony was like, still kind of like working on maybe getting his agility, <laughs> basketball agility back. And, um, you know, I was like one of those guys, you know, definitely changed over time, but I always, always like take a charge. Right. And so, so Tony like gets the ball in the wing and just starts driving at the hoop. And I think he was like, all right, this guy's going to move out of the way. And I'm like, well, I'm going to take a charge, right? Like this guy's, but you know, I just hadn't taken a charge on Tony Gonzalez yet. And this guy's like a freight train. I mean, he was 250 pounds, like pure muscle and fast. Right. And so he's coming at me. And so I like basically stood my ground and he kind of lowered his shoulders intentionally, I think um, uh, just because he saw the collision coming and like, you know, normally when you take a charge, you'll get hit and you'll kind of like slide along, you know, just kind of go down. But like he hit me so hard. I remember my feet basically like coming up off the hardwood. Like imagine that, right? Like hitting in the, being hit in the chest and just going airborne. And so as I was like coming up, he was coming towards me and I ended up just like kicking him pretty squarely in the nuts, you know? And so he like crumbled. It was like, you're watching like Goliath fall. And I went shooting across the, the gym floor 
And of course, like the coaches, it looked like the biggest charge ever, you know, and, and it was, uh, and I was literally 15 feet away. And like Tony kind of recovered quickly and came running over to me, like grabbed me by my, by my jersey. He's like, you, you know, basically can imagine what he said. And like the coaches like pulled him apart. He's like, God, you know, the guy just took a charge. And Tony's like, you know what you did. <laughs> just, so anyway, it's just some of the funny tension. So I, it's like I said in the book, I think I'm like the only guy to kick Tony Gonzalez to the nuts and live to tell about it. Right. But, well, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but it was, you know, look, I mean, the guys like obviously become a great ambassador for football and was an awesome teammate. Dude, he was such a good guy. And, and, you know, he ended up carrying us through a lot of the sweet 16 that year because Ed Gray, who was, you know, ended up being a first round draft pick had broken his foot against Washington state late in the, in the PAC 10 season back then it was the PAC 10 and, you know, he had scored, I, I can't remember how much time there was to go, but he had scored like 48 points just to give you some perspective. And there was like 10 minutes to go in the game. Right. And like, he was, I think on track to set the pack 10, you know, single game scoring record if he had kept it up. And, you know, I, I really think that year we ended up losing to North Carolina in the sweet 16. And I think with, if Ed hadn't gotten hurt and we had just got, we, we had such good chemistry as a team I think we're, there was a good chance we could have gone to the final four that year. You know, I really do. Uh, but, but either way, it was still a great season. And, and obviously Tony, you know, was, was a big, had a lot to do with that. So. Right. Right. Well, that's a, that's an awesome story. <laughs> and, you know, I noticed when I talked to people who were walk-ons, they, they would do certain things above and beyond. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if you were a scholarship guy, if you would have taken that. <laughs> But yeah, it's a good question. On, you know, you kind of you kind of have to prove yourself all the time. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you know it was one of those guys where you're constantly trying to prove yourself, and you know you're trying to simulate a game, right? You know, it's like one of the things. You know, the the coaches really expect you to to kind of come out, give it your all every day, and you had to. I mean, one of the other things is pretty cool is we'd always have to learn like the other team's plays, and so by the time I was like a senior, I I had like all the scouting books for like every team we played, and I like knew Arizona State's offense, and I knew Oregon's offense, and Stanford, and UCLA, et cetera, et cetera, and so and they, you know they didn't change a ton year to year, so I ended up like kind of knowing all these offenses, right? So that's something that I think you just have to have the aptitude because. Obviously, you have to know your own playbook. And then I knew the playbooks for like, you know, whatever, the entire Pac-10 at the time and then all these other teams we would play. So you had to kind of learn how to like quickly look at a scouting report, learn the offense. We'd obviously practice it and then you'd have to execute it in, in, in live game scenarios. And, and the way that, that Coach Braun and Coach Ramsey and Coach Beaton and Coach Renault and all those guys – who were the Cal coaches at the time, they would always, we had a really good set of walk-ons. Like, you know, we had guys that ultimately ended up playing pro overseas that were like walk-ons, you know, just again, just the caliber of the team was, was that good. And, um, and, and so, you know, we were on the court all the time. Like it would be like, you know, the eight, the eight, like the, the, the starting team would, would play the kind of the backups. And then from there, you know, the walk-ons would come on and then the A team would play and then the B team would play and then the A team would play. And we just, play games you know if, right. if it was a scrimmage day non-stop so I'd play it was every I said this in the book too is like every day was like a scrimmage like a full game for me it was it was super fun so some walk-ons you know they're on a team for four years and they spend most of the time just standing on the sidelines which is kind of a shitty experience you can imagine but in, in this particular case you know we literally played so I was in great shape I got to play every day against these like amazing players um, but yeah, you have to go above and beyond. You got to dive on the court. You got to take charges, you know, you, and, and then, you know, just a lot of like, 
you're always trying to figure out like how to get an angle because, you know, you're trying to like, how do I score over like a seven foot guy or how do I, you know, like what can you do to try and like get an edge? And the one thing that we learned as walk-ons is like how to move without the ball. So when we didn't, um, when we didn't have to run the other team's plays and you're just straight up scrimmaging, we, uh, one of the, one of the assistant coaches, this guy, coach Reno, and he was a leading coach at De La Salle and, he, he basically taught us the Princeton offense, the Pete Carrill offense. So we'd run this like super high spread offense and we just backdoor the hell out of these guys. And, you know, a lot of times people weren't playing that. Right. But that was the only way we could get open. Right. So, so we would be, you know, we had a really good, this guy, Ryan Myers and, you know, who, uh, was a really good passer. He was kind of one of the other walk-on guys, about six, nine water polo guy who ended up coming. We had a great vision. And then another guy, you know, I, I played with another two guys from my high school, Justin LeBaugh, and Cassie Rawer, we already played together for, you know, four years to get, you know, heading into to Cal and Justin made it the year before me. Cause I've been at USC, but we were classmates at SI and then Cassie and I ended up coming on together. So we had all played together. So we already knew how to play from playing four years together in high school. So there was a lot of fun stuff that, that ended up happening, but you know, there were some days we actually, you know, we actually won in some cases won pretty handily, not, not every time by any means, but you know, if we had it going, we could be uh, pretty competitive. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, after your four years, you graduate. Yeah. And um, now, what did you do? Did did you think about the pros, or were you like, no, I'm going to go straight? Yeah. Down. Look, I mean, it's funny. Like, there's so many layers of basketball today, and um, you know, there's always an opportunity. I one I had a friend who lived in France, and so I went over after like right after I graduated from Cal and I had an offer to go work in investment banking. So I, so I had basically decided, look, I'm going to use this Cal degree and I'm going to use the basketball experience. So I'm going to use that to try and like be a differentiated, uh, you know, candidate. Um, and this was right during the internet bubble, you know, the tech bubble of, of kind of late nineties, early two thousands and investment banks were hiring all over just to get bodies in. Cause there were so many deals that were happening. Right. Right. So they ended up, um, I ended up getting a job at this at this firm called Robertson Stevens, and I'd intern there, um, you know, kind of between my junior and senior year, uh, and no no relation to me by any means. Just ended up having the same name, but but I ended up getting an internship, and uh, ultimately, which manifests itself in a full time offer. And I remember there was this kind of right after college, I went and did like the European trip where I travel around for six or seven weeks through Europe and just, you know, road trains and all those fun things. Right, right. Um, and I ended up uh, going to see a buddy of mine who was actually a pro basketball player in France. And they, he played in like, you know, a second or third division French league. And they were interested in having me come and like be the point guard. And I remember giving it like some thought, but then you're just like, look, like I said, like I knew I was not making the NBA after like our first day of practice, just because <laughs> it was so fast. And I knew I was a good enough athlete, but like, you know, you're basically like trimming, you know, you're taking guys like Ed Gray, who was like MVP of the league, you know, of, of, of the Pac-10 or Tony Gonzalez or like Sean Marks, you know, who was on our team is now the GM of the Nets, another awesome guy. Um, but, but he, uh, you know, these are guys who were like, just, they were just superior players. And there's so many guys who were start, you know, starters in the pac 10. And then back then the pac 10 was legit. You know, we were putting six, seven teams, you know, into the, into the tournament every year. And, you know, a lot of them, you know, UCLA had won recently and Arizona, we were the last team to beat Arizona in, in the, that 96, 97 season before they ultimately won the whole thing. And so, um, so there's a lot of just great players. I just knew like at some point, man, you just, you just know if you're going to do it or not. So I kind of, 
I also thought to myself, okay, am I really going to go to France and like, you know, play in some random league and make no money and, you know, then come back to the U S and like, what are you going to do then? Right. Where I had a, an opportunity to really kick off a career. Funny as it is, like I'm still doing investment banking after all these years, you know, right. after I, you know, I did take some twists and turns, but kind of post business school decided to come back and, and that decision was great. And candidly, the walk-on experience, I think really, really helped position me to get that job. Um, you know, a, because, you know, I think the bank was like, well, here's a guy who's pretty good student at the same time, you know, clearly, had a lot on his plate in college. And so he can handle the rigors of being an analyst. You know, this is like one of these jobs where you're working like 90 to hundred hours a week and not seeing your friends and right. you're just grinding, you know, it's like everything's transactional. So you're just at the whim of your clients at all times. So that, that can be kind of challenging, but you know, I'd been getting up for the last four years every morning at you know seven because I had to go to 8am classes and I did go to class as a, as a, as a student, you know, and some people <laughs> don't, but I, I did. And, uh, and then, you know, you go to practice and you're kind of exhausted because you probably were up late or, you know, whatever. And then you got to do your homework. And so I basically was in that routine for four years. And so I think having that routine and that discipline really, really helped uh, with investment banking because ultimately when the bubble popped, you know, they, they had to make some pretty drastic cuts across the organization. Unfortunately, I, you know, I'd proven myself and didn't get, end up getting fired, which is great. And that was like a year in. So I, so I ended up doing the full like analyst program and then ultimately went on to go work for some companies, you know, in operating roles before ultimately going back to business school. Um, okay. Now, so, I, actually, just talking about business school, when did you go back to, because uh, you actually got your MBA at Wharton? That's right. Yeah. So, so I, um, so I ended up um, going, let's see. So I went to business school in 2008. And I wish I could tell everybody I had this like, you know, ability to see that the financial crisis was coming, but I didn't, I just literally just kind of lucky. It was like, not a, there could not be a better time to be in business school than 2008 to 2010, as you would imagine. So, um, but, but I had my, my quick career progression. So I did like two and a half years at, at, at Roberts and Stevens as a kind of tech investment banking analyst and working on, I did some, you know, structured equity and worked with a bunch of tech companies just doing, you know, mostly convertible debt and IPOs and M&A and things like that. Um, and then from there, uh, I ended up um, working for one of our clients. So I worked, so moved out to Salt Lake City from San Francisco to work at Overstock.com, which you probably yes. shopped at or are familiar with. But right. that was a great experience. I was there for about three and a half years. Uh, worked for a guy named Patrick Byrne, who is literally one of like the smartest guys I've ever worked with. Uh, worked for, you know, he was the CEO, you know, really great connectivity into Warren Buffett, who's his godfather. And, you know, he's been kind of in the press. He's one of these guys that like called the financial crisis in advance. If you look him up on YouTube, you'll see it's amazing. There are these videos of him like telling like on MSNBC or whatever, just like, you know, like Bloomberg, all these various things saying like, look, this thing's going to blow up and people are literally laughing at him and telling him he's crazy. And of course it happens. Right. Uh, but anyway, he's, he's an interesting, colorful character, but he took an interest in me and to this day, you know, still appreciative of it, but he taught me a lot of really good business fundamentals, you know, how to communicate with people, uh, how to manage a team, how to, you know, planning all the things you kind of learn in an operational setting. So I was there for about three and a half years. Uh, then I went back to San Francisco, worked for a software company. And during that time applied for business school and, uh, applied to a bunch of places. I did want to get out of the West coast, you know, cause I'd kind of been at Cal grew up in the Bay area and was like, 
So I didn't apply to Stanford. I didn't apply to like, you know, it, it wasn't really motivated to go to the West Coast. So I applied to a lot of East Coast schools and got in a pen, and, which is a great school. And, and so I was there for two years. So moved, my wife and I moved across the country and she went to uh, Villanova for nursing school. So we both kind of did the, the, the kind of grad school thing at the same time, which is great. Uh, and that was an amazing experience. But again, you know, kind of connecting this whole thing back to basketball, like I think the Cal experience was helpful for basketball, for, for Wharton. You know, they, uh, I think they thought that was an interesting part of my, my profile and I'd done well academically and, you know, I had recommendations from my coaches, which again, I think when you're competing against people, and this is truly a global organization, like 50% of my classmates were from overseas, okay. you know, India, China, Latin America, it was just a really global experience and uh, Israel, it was really cool. Um, so I ended up getting into like one of the top programs in the, in the world, you know, and again, I think, you know, you start kind of stitching everything together and it's like, literally from day one of making that, that, you know, that walk, the team is a walk on a cow and like committing to four years. And there are definitely times there's like, screw this. I don't want to do it anymore. And it's, it sucks for whatever reason. And then just gritting it and fighting through it. You know, I think you kind of build like a muscle, right. That's, right. uh, that's, you know, that's kind of unique and it kind of teaches you to fight through stuff. Right. And so, um, so then you kind of get into the corporate world and that muscle can get stronger and stronger because you're going to have to fight through like, you know, you're trying your career and, you know, doing a good job and making sure you're kind of holding a job and transitioning from, you know, place to place and building kind of credibility at each organization. And so I think it all starts coming together. And when you apply to business school, it's, it was really competitive as you would imagine trying to get right, right. So, you know, having that unique story, I think really helps. And it all starts, I really think it all starts back to like, you know, just starting with, with hoops and just committing to it for like, you know, the better part of my life at the time. And so it's, uh, so, so it really helped. Well, I also think being a student athlete at that high level helps you at that next level of school with time management, uh, yeah. you know, communication, being dedicated to getting your grades and, and, and doing the work that other people don't really have that chance. Yeah, because like you said, with you, you're not just playing basketball. You know, you're not just a student. You're you're having to keep your grades up because Cal's not like you said, it's not an easy school. So yeah. you have to keep your grades up. On top of that, you have to perform. Absolutely. I mean, look, it's um, you know, there's kind of that commitment and dedication. And one of the other things, Eric, you and I talked about, kind of as we prep for this thing, was you know, I cannot stress how important communication is, right? Especially when you think about today's day and age, and it's just become. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of sensitivities and making sure that, you know, you're kind of, you know, especially when you're like working across generations, which now that I'm a little more senior in my job, I've got, you know, a lot of juniors that I work for, or or, sorry, that work with me and are on my team and kind of working cross group and cross, you know, nations, you know, UBS is a very global, global firm. Uh, So, you know, I've, I've worked with people in Asia and Latin America and Europe, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I will say that it's interesting, you know, you, you go back to, kind of basketball and it starts in high school, but obviously when you get to college, you know, you're, you're, you're playing with a, a group of guys that are, you know, and when you get played kind of an elite program, like typically they're from all over the place, right? So there are guys from Chicago, there are guys from, you know, the South, there are guys from the East coast, you know, a lot of guys from California, obviously, uh, but they're all just very different, right. In, in various ways and the walk-ons, you know, typically we're kind of, you know, different in some, some, some ways, um, and so you kind of learn how to kind of 
you know, communicate and kind of, you know, hang out with, with folks that you really didn't hang out with types of people you didn't hang out when you're in high school. And so, um, so that was a really cool experience as well. And just, I remember I'd never really been to Chicago and we played DePaul and uh, one of my teammates, Dennis Gates, who's now a head coach in, in college and another just great dude. But, but, you know, he invited me over to his house. We had kind of like dinner, you know, and funny, like some of the DePaul players, Quentin Richardson and Bobby Simmons, who ended up playing in the NBA came over, remember hanging out with those guys and just kind of hearing what their life was like growing up in Chicago. And obviously kind of, you know, playing across that city, which is so different than San Francisco, just hearing and learning about all that stuff. You know, we went to the East. I remember going back East and we ended up uh, going to, um, we played in this tournament, got like a tour of the white house. So you end up just seeing all these like really cool uh, things, you know, and, um, and, you know, it, it just opens your, your aperture a little bit. Right. And so, and over time, you know, you, you learn that, you know, and obviously when you're a senior and you got freshmen coming in, those guys are like trying to make their way, you know? So, so anyway, it, it ends up, um, I think prepping you for, for, for the professional, your professional career, which, which was pretty cool. Yeah. I went to Stony Brook for, for two years yeah. and I was able to be an RA for my second year. Our room was called the UN because I made sure that I didn't stick with one sort of friends. We had a great group of friends. So my roommate was Irish. We had a two bedroom suite. Uh, yeah. So my roommate was, was uh, Irish. The other room was an Indian from India, a Sikh, and a Jewish guy and me being Puerto Rican. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I'll tell you, we had such a great time. Totally. Because we learned from each other. We actually even had dinners, themed dinners. And one of them, the best one was the Indian guy, Parmeet. He showed us how to tie a turban. So we all oh, like tie awesome. turbans. It was it was great. And you know, I, I could have just hung out with Puerto Ricans. I could have hung out with just white whoever it is, but I wanted to learn because in college, I think that's a big part of college experience is just learning about other people and other cultures. And I think a lot of people miss out on that. And coming out of that into my, into my career, it was easier for me to talk when I had to travel to different countries to talk to other people. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the great opportunities, you know, it's like, you know, the, I, I, you know, one of the things that I think about, right, with just kind of college sports, right, is these kids that come from maybe disenfranchised opportunities, you know, bad neighborhoods, and all of a sudden they find themselves, you know, because they're really good at basketball and were able to kind of hold it together in high school and get their grades. They find themselves at like a Cal or UCLA or Stanford, or, you know, whatever the uh, – I picked all kind of biased, obviously, picking some Pac-12 <laughs> schools. But obviously, you know, the Dukes and, the you know, just tons of great schools all over the country – I sometimes feel like, and, and obviously, you know, I'm not there day to day, but I definitely think that there, there are cases where the students maybe don't realize the opportunity that they have presented to them to learn, just like what you and I were talking about, just something as basic as, you know, kind of broadening out and, and you know, you go to like a Cal, and there's like literally every nationality and ethnicity on the, in the world is there, right? And you right. can you, you can learn about various heritages and really give yourself a global perspective, right? Even without necessarily having to, to travel the globe because there's, as you mentioned, you know, there's Indians and Israelis and Latin America, I mean, whatever it might be, there's everything. Right. And I remember that being a great, great uh, part of my Cal experience. And, and obviously that's continued 
in my professional career, but I, I sometimes think that, you know, there's cases where student athletes ignore that, or they don't take advantage of that opportunity, or they don't take advantage of the opportunity to really take harder classes because, you know, their program to, to do well in the basketball court. I saw so many students where, you know, they wanted to take chemistry or they wanted to, you know, be a math. And then they ultimately like ended up shirking away because, you know, they, it conflicted with, you know, a, a, a practice or whatever it might be. And then they end up selling themselves short. And like one of the big things I talk to still catch up with student athletes, I always tell them like, look, man, just pursue your academic dreams. Like if you're, if, you know, if you're committed to the team, like the coaches will figure out a way to make it work. Right. And, right. uh, and, you know, go after some of those hard classes. We all know like the world's not getting easier. Right. And you kind of got to, you need to come out with like a technical degree, I think now, and it's obviously hard to balance the two, but if you can, you know, you really can pave a way to a successful future. Right. right. And uh, so I always, I, 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 you know, I'm sure I sound like a broken record and these guys you see, I mean, I'm not the only person that says these types of things, but if you've got an opportunity to take advantage of free education, you know, and you're, you know, we, I think we talked about this, Eric, we caught up last week, like you play in the NBA, most guys are kind of out of the league by the time they're 30. Right. You know, it's, you know, there's obviously the Vince Carters of the world that play in their forties, but like, that's, that guy's a unicorn, right? Yes, so exactly. I mean, I, funny thing, like I remember playing against that guy, you know, at least sitting on the bench and watching him play when we were at Cal and, uh, you know, it's funny. The guy just retired last year. So he obviously kudos wow. to that guy or whatever. Yes. I mean, it's something like that, right? He played forever, maybe two years. Whatever it is, he played for so long in the NBA. It's just, just awesome. But most guys, you know, aren't making it into their thirties. And so, you know, you might make a decent chunk of change. But the reality is you've got 30 years or 40 years to figure out kind of what to do. And if you didn't graduate or you didn't really pursue, you know, a degree that was, uh, was maybe, you know, something that would translate into a full-time job, like you're kind of in a tricky position. Right. And so what do you do? Right. And I always, you never hear the the media never picks up on the guys. Like what, what, what's kind of the rest of these guys are playing the NFL, major league baseball, you know, NBA hockey, like whatever it is, like what happens when the, when they're out of the spotlight, you know, you never hear about that. A lot of times you hear about guys that, you know, there's the Antoine Walker story about the guy like blowing through a hundred million bucks or whatever. And it's like, you know, learning, like, learning basic financial stuff and, you know, techniques and, you know, skill sets in college is like one of those things to be obviously paramount, right. For the rest of your life or getting a degree, you know, if you, if you don't get a degree and decide to go to the NBA early, like go back, like your school, absolutely love to have you come back and finish your degree. Right. So take advantage of that. Right. And if you decide that, you know, the NBA is done, like go back and do something hard, right. Go become a chemist or go be an electrical engineer or whatever it is. It's going to set you up for a job that's, you know, more in line with today's environment. Right. And it's just hard to connect those dots for people, but you know, the opportunities are there and, you know, having the people to kind of advise you on that can, can be really important. I, I sometimes feel like maybe schools don't focus on that like they should. Exactly. Do. Exactly. I don't, it, it was funny because I was my, my next question, which you, hit yeah. it on the nose, which is personal development. And I don't think a lot of these athletes and, and coaches, they don't try to work on their personal development, anticipating that it's going to happen because it's not like it's not going to happen. It, yeah. it's, it's a finite amount of time that you're going to either coach or play and, and it's going to end. And unfortunately, as an athlete, it ends a lot quicker than someone who's working, let's say like in banking and they retire when they're in their sixties, you know, right. you're going to re- you know, it's going to happen either before your forties or really early forties. 
Yeah, I think that's right. And and on top of that, you know, you're what's interesting is like if you're not successful, you're going to have to go find a job and everybody wants to live the American dream and own a house and raise some kids, you know, or whatever it might be. I mean, the American dream is obviously changing dramatically, but you know, you want to be able to live the life you want to live. That's probably the way to, right. you know, categorize the American dream today versus the more like nuclear family type situation you heard in the 50s and 60s. But but in order to do that, you kind of need to, I think, you know, it's pretty important to have a degree of some sort, right? And something right. where you can kind of pursue uh, a profession that hopefully pays you enough to be able to do the things you want to do. And that, that and th- those are obviously going to be defined differently by, by different people. Um, so by no means am I telling people what to do and not to do, but, but I, I do think um, that may get lost when you're so myopically focused on the sport. Right. And I think you mentioned the coaching yes. level. I mean, think about like, you're, you know, think about some of these guys like, you know, uh, they, they do end up going to the NBA and they're good and they make like millions of dollars. Like imagine being, I, I always think like this, the anxiety uh, of, of being a multimillionaire at like, 35, 40 years old. And all of a sudden you're not making that paycheck anymore. Hopefully you've saved it. And it's like, okay, well, how am I going to like string this cash along for the rest of my life to live right. on it? And I don't know shit about finance or I don't know how to invest. And I, and like, I don't know, you know, maybe I had a couple bad investments, you know, I don't know how the NBA or, you know, or even coming in from overseas, like how are people getting connected with the right people. And there's some great guys, like I'm buddies with a guy named Joe McLean, who I think does a really good work in this area, but you know, there's not, I don't, I don't think everybody gets the chance to, to connect with, with a guy like Joe, uh, who's I think saved a lot of athletes, you know, and and really preserved their wealth. But you you hear so many horror, horror stories about it. Right. And it's just, it's just sad, you know, and obviously that has implications on the generations of people where they potentially, have the opportunity to pull their family out of maybe where a place where they didn't want to be, especially if you're coming right. from like a poor neighborhood or whatever. Now you've got a chance to have the capital to put all your grandchildren through school. And all of a sudden it's vaporized. And you're really impacting like a generation, right? right? So, so focusing on that and thinking about that and kind of the responsibility you have based on this unique opportunity is super important. I think. You know? Right. Right. I, I agree. I definitely agree. There's a couple of things that I read in your story that I want to highlight because I think it's really important. Uh, one is you said that the leadership learned from your coaching staff yeah. was, was so instrumental. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I, again, I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but coach Braun and so there, there were four kind of main coaches uh, that I played for and, and, and Ben Braun, uh, you know, I literally to this day, I can't say enough good things about him. Like he, he, he just gave me an amazing opportunity and let me play for four years. And, you know, it's kind of, we've maintained, you know, some connectivity over the years, uh, you know, but, but he had an interesting approach where, like I said, like he engaged the walk-ons because he felt strongly that if he had a good core of walk-ons and learned how to play together, they could actually provide some pretty good value to his, starting and kind of second string team, you know? And so, um, so we had to play a ton and he treated us like the rest of the team. I think in some, I've seen cases where walk-ons are kind of second class citizens. And so, um, so it ends up, it's hard to kind of assimilate the entire group together. Cause there's just, you know, kind of a, a, 
<laughs> it's like a class structure that's built on a team. Right. Um, right. So, so I always appreciated that. And, you know, there was always an opportunity to, uh, to like move up. Right. So one of the things that was really cool is there's a couple guys that uh, came in as walk-ons at Cal and ultimately ended up, you know, playing like serious minutes. Right. So, so there's a guy named Ryan Forehand Kelly who came in and ultimately ended up being like a starter in some cases and scored like, you know, a couple 20 point games. It was just an amazing story. And he ended up playing pro overseas and almost made the NBA. There's another guy named Robbie Jones who ended up playing a ton of minutes. And I mean, there's tons, there's countless stories of, right. of coach Braun led teams where walk-ons have made significant contributions. And I think it's just the attitude that he took and like his coaching staff. Right. And they just like, look, if you guys can prove it, you can make it. Right. And that I don't think is always the case because in other situations you always hear like, well, this guy's a, a scholarship athlete and we need to protect our investment and the boosters, et cetera, et cetera. Like Cal, it's just kind of like, a, look, man, if you come and you do well, then you, you've got a chance. And, you know, I was to this day, like one of the things I still kind of, um, it's not, it's just annoying. I was playing really well my junior year and I'm getting like this small stress fracture in my foot. And I think there was a, an opportunity for me to win a scholarship, which would obviously been a huge validation, you know, and all the hard work. And uh, I ended up, you know, not being able to play through the back half of the year and someone else ended up getting it. And, you know, God bless that person. It was that ended up being Robbie and he deserved it because the guy was, you know, awesome as a, his senior year was great. But I remember coach Braun asked me one time how I felt about not getting that scholarship. And it was kind of a, a, a tricky question, but just one of those tr- tough things in life where, you know, you break your foot and there's nothing you can do about it, of, of course. But right. uh, I always, one of those things I always would have wondered, you know, what, what would have happened there. Um, but again, I think it just comes down to leadership, you know, treating people equally and giving everybody a shot. And that's kind of the way I, I run my business, you know, everybody try to treat everybody equally. And is it, you know, there isn't like uh, a pecking order as much if, if I can avoid it. So everybody feels like they're, they're kind of a, a team. Right. And that's, and that's the way coach Braun did it. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, there's also a quote from the book that I want to put out there because it was great. You put, uh, I vaulted myself into the unknown. I dropped what I was doing to go pursue this crazy dream. I took a great amount of risk and a bunch of hard work, but it paid off. Yeah. I think that everybody should have that attitude that, you know what, you, you need to step out. You need to take that risk and pretty much invest in yourself. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. It's And we talked about this too. I mean, look, there's, uh, I think one of the great pieces of of business advice, you know, and I'm like one of these, part of this is because of my experience with Patrick Byrne, but a big believer in kind of Warren Buffett and all his principles. He's like, look, the best possible investment you'll ever make is investing in yourself. Right. And so again, you know, maybe it started with me deciding to invest in, in going to Cal, you know, again, SC was a great school, but going to a Cal, which was kind of a superior academic institution at the time, making the bet to try and like make this team when, you know, who knew what the, the chances really were. So that ended up playing out and then kind of, you know, continuing to invest in my education, going to, to Wharton and, you know, which I paid for myself for the most part. And like, you know, you just continue to do this. And, and I think you just drive this like, it, it helps build confidence. I think when you, when you, when you invest in yourself and things work out and you do it again, things work out, you know? Um, so, so that's been, um, you know, kind of an interesting life lesson that I, that I would say, and I don't know if it necessarily started with, you know, taking the risk of transfer from SC to Cal, obviously like the chance to go to Cal is, I wouldn't call it risky, but it was kind of sacrificing the, 
the investment I had made in friends and, you know, going to USC and all that stuff and kind of starting anew, right. And like turning this new page, you know, it's like I said, vaulting into the unknown because you have no idea. Like I could have also not made the team and been miserable at Cal and maybe gone a totally different direction. Like who knows. Right. Um, so, um, but anyway, one way to find out, you know, and you see this, like, it's kind of one of these stories, like I've never really been an entrepreneur per se, but you know, these guys that kind of give it all up to go start a, a company, you know, next thing you know, things have gone really well for them because uh, they saw an opportunity. And so, you know, to the extent, if you ever get a chance to see that opportunity and you know, kind of piece it together strategically, it all lines up and you feel like you can make a, a calculated bet on something, right? Like go for it. Why not? Right. Exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> now, something that I just learned before we got on was that uh, one of the people that I interviewed, Coach Brew, has some yeah connectivity. connectivity yeah, so, with you. But look, I mean, Coach Brew, I think I think what you're doing is so great because you're finding these people that have just had tremendous impacts. And I, I don't put myself in this category by any means, but Coach <laughs> Brew is one of those guys, and I can tell kind of firsthand. You know, he my my youngest brother Charlie. Uh, you know, went back East and was a pretty good lacrosse player and ended up getting a, a scholarship to go play at Cabrini. Uh, and a lot of it, if his development, like he was, you know, it was unclear kind of how his track was going, you know, he maybe wasn't as good of a student. I think he really is, his his turned, it turned things around, but coach Brew took an interest in him, you know, and, and uh, made him into a better student and better, more focused and a better lacrosse player. And Charlie ended up getting the scholarship and, had a good, you know, experience in college, played, played like me, played all four years and then um, was able to kind of adopt some of the skill sets and fundamentals you get from being a college athlete. And now he's doing great. And, you know, if it wasn't for an, for the investment in, in co- from coach brew, I, I don't know that it would have played out that way candidly. So when I saw that he was on your podcast, I was like, I absolutely want to be a part of this. Cause I think that guy, and I haven't stayed in touch with him in years, but you know, I follow him. He, I still get email from stuff from him from time to time, just on things he's doing, but he's a, just an awesome dude. And, um, so, so anyway, awesome. awesome. Guy means a lot to our family. You know, awesome. he doesn't know it probably, but he does. That's great. That's great. Well, I got one last question. Yep. Fourth and goal. <laughs> one minute left on the clock. The game's on the line. Give us something to leave with. Got it. So, um, so look, I think, I think it, it's probably ultimately going to come out of what we've talked about, but, uh, but I think just, you know, keeping confidence in yourself and, um, and taking, you know, just relying on the skills that, that you've developed over the years uh, to help you kind of make those, those next decisions. Uh, you know, like I said, always bet on yourself. Um, I found that that, 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 and always invest in yourself. You know, there's so much, opportunity in today's day to, to learn more things, continue to do that. And, uh, you know, I help, I think it helps you kind of adapt to a very fast changing society and workplace and social dynamics, et cetera, et cetera, as we've gone through, the last, you know, four years, but, but, uh, but, you know, that, that's always kind of been my mantra and I've seen it play out time and time again, not just with some of my, myself, some of my own efforts, but a lot of friends and, you know, colleagues, et cetera, et cetera, that have done really well. Right. So. Right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, JT, thank you. Thank you again for coming on. Hey coach. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, how, how's the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, I think just, you know, hit me up on LinkedIn, uh, or, or, um, 
you know, you can always email me at JT Stevens, S T E P H E N S uh, at gmail.com. It's, it's an easy way. Obviously any friend of yours is a friend of mine. So, so we'd be happy to connect, but, but again, Eric, thanks so much for the time. It, it was uh, super fun. I really enjoyed this. And again, uh, big fan of what you're doing and what Jim's doing and coach Brew's doing. So I, I feel blessed just to be a part of this whole thing in some small shape, way, well, way shape or form. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Are you still playing basketball? Uh, you know, I, I did cut it back a little bit, um, especially through the whole like COVID thing, but uh, I like to get out and shoot around and I got a little boy. So I'm teaching him, my girls, so I'm, you know, more, more trying to pass along the, uh, the skills, you know, awesome. uh, minor, minor quickly deteriorating. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks once again. Okay. Take care. Take care. Bye. Once again, a great conversation. And just to reiterate what he said, that he took what he learned and used it as key operating principles to manage his life. I think all athletes and coaches could take those same keys from their experiences and propel them to whatever aspect in life that they desire. A couple of takeaways that I had was how his coach demonstrated a strong sense of commitment to the walk-on group and how that example of leadership helped JT in his leadership role. What can we learn from our coaches on our teams? JT learned teamwork, diversity, communication, and dedication from his four years of sports. These are things that we can learn from ours, plus much, much more. Another point is how personal development is so important to our growth and our moving forward. And also that reoccurring point that student athletes have great time management skills. I want to read that sentence from the book once again because it's so strong. I dropped what I was doing to go pursue this crazy dream. It took a great amount of risk and a bunch of hard work, but paid off. There's so much more that we want to do in life. Why don't we take that risk and dive into the unknown? We know how to put the hard work in. We've done it before. Let's take some time. Let's put some thought in it. And let's propel ourselves into the future. I'll put JT's contact information on the show notes. If you'd like, again, what you're hearing from me, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please leave me a five-star rating. Again, it helps listeners find my show. And once again, if you have any questions or comments for me, please email me at eric at heycoachreyes.com. Until next time, how much work are you willing to put in to propel you to the future? Take care.